When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. How about yourself? I'm having an excellent time, yeah. We've got a an off weekend, so we've got plenty of news to catch up on. In fact, we've got so much news to catch up on, it is going to be a struggle to get all of it in before we have a lovely pre-recorded segment with Summers. And I'm glad you caught up with our friend Matthew Summerfield from motorsport.com because I want to know all about the bendy wings. And I'm assuming that was a focus of the conversation. Yes. And in clever fashion, we put it at the end of the discussion. So you have to listen to all the other stuff first. Well, you shouldn't have said that. Now they'll skip forward. But But, I didn't tell them where. But we're also going to talk about the uh, McLaren drop that just happened. Did McLaren schedule their big announcement for 6pm UK time just so that Missed Apex podcast would be the first podcast that could give their hot take? Is this proof that Zach Brown is a Missed Apex listener, Matt? I I think I vote yes, it is. I I don't see how anyone could argue with that evidence. They made the announcement before our show. They know that we are first. Therefore, they scheduled it with us in mind. And I'm going to have my... As promised, five-minute Monaco whinge. I'm going to have it on this show today, and I'm not going to whinge about it during the race. So during the Monaco review, I will treat it like it's a like a normal, valid race. Uh, okay, sure. Oh, okay, good. Um, also, we got a pretty fair criticism, I think, uh, and we've had this criticism a couple of times this season, that we've been focusing on the race reviews on the lead battle. And, and I think last race review out of an hour and a half show, we, we didn't move on from the lead battle, including qualifying and stuff like that, until around the 45-minute mark. However, in our defence, when we review the show so soon after the race, there's not actually been a lot of midfield coverage. We only see them when they spin, when there's an overtake. 
Uh, well, no, I would I would actually go one step further because we usually make an effort to discuss the midfield. I mean, I know we talked about Ferrari and McLaren a bit, but in this case, I believe it's been multiple years since we saw uh, someone drop out, take a second pit stop, and claw back all the time. And then some and pass for the win. In, in fact, a two-stop beating a one-stop probably goes back maybe to another Barcelona GP in the early teens. And before that, you're talking about Lewis mm. Hamilton in Canada in like 2010, which is where the entire era of Pirelli tires came from. So yeah. it was there was a reason we talk so much about the battle at the front is that it's incredibly unusual what it, happened. It was. And I think the much-cited example of Hungary 2019 as well. And we're talking scheduled tactical pit stops not the pit stops for fastest lap but to try and counter that during the week on a sunday or on the patreon pod we do try and do a bit of catch up so today we're going to talk about how much slack we should give the new drivers or the drivers who have switched teams is time up for that little bit of leeway that'll get us into the midfield nicely we're going to have an argument about blue flags because someone on our panel thinks we should do away with them after watching roman grosjean in the indie in the American F1 race. And we'll also talk about Supermax's overtakes. But let me remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by our quiz master, Chris Catman-Turner. How's it going, Chris? Yeah, good. And I'm the uh, the the pariah who doesn't like blue flags. I think the only place a blue flag should be is on an English beach. The uh, the rest of the panel, Kyle, Alex, Brad, they're so angry at you that you're even going to propose getting rid of blue flags. So I, I can't wait for this debate. Yeah, their anger has inspired me. So I've doubled down. So get ready for a fight. Excellent. And we have discussed, we haven't had a quiz for a while. Uh, we were going to throw something together today, but we decided to do it properly. But what we've kind of been talking about is a a kind of hunger games style knockout quiz with all our extended panel maybe doing some rounds and then you know before we declare kyle the champion we'll have a little bit of a knockout to get towards that point yeah and actually do you know what brad is uh, is pretty knowledgeable as well so those two are going to be in the final and uh you, you can I'm, help me host yeah, the final round I think. maybe what if i put them t- i'll just i'll fix it so that only one of them can get through it is it's fine it'll be a whole thing we're also <laughs> joined from the glamour of los angeles uh, by our new friend daniel clark or otherwise known as dj how's it going dj it's going well spanners so happy to be here excellent and you are a sim commentator I am indeed on uh, the Global Sim Racing channel. Uh, we do stuff pretty much every night of the week. If you haven't heard us, uh, hop over to YouTube, check us out. You are so American. Like, you're so American that I think we might not meet, need Matt anymore. I mean, that was really the goal in me coming mm-hmm. on. Yeah, I know. And for the video viewers, we're going to address the elephant in the room. Uh, DJ has the biggest, bushiest moustache I've seen in a long, long time. We're talking Mansell, Graham Gooch era moustaches. It was a choice. It, uh, it was done to pay homage to Nigel, Bobby Rahal, really any of the great drivers of all time that have had glorious mustaches. That's, uh, that's where it came from. Mm, yeah, I think we all, we all are sitting here feeling very inadequate, but that is your panel. Myself, Matt Trumpets, Chris Catman-Turner and DJ.
Well, I think we should... What am I doing? We should obviously be starting with... Big Dirty News. Alright guys, the F1 hype machine got into full swing as every every F1 journalist on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the kind of the dancing hula hoopy one, whatever that one's called, uh, told us that they had seen something very, very cool, but they weren't allowed to say. We're not allowed to tell you, but you guys will think this is absolutely brilliant. Uh, so I'm just going to address the hype first, Matt, because actually what McLaren came out with was very cool. And I'd imagine if I was in a room being wined and dined by Zach Brown. Zach Brown personally handed everyone a volivant and a flute of champagne, and I was excited, and it was suddenly sprung on me. What they announced today would have come across as very exciting, but the hype and the buzz machine are a week's worth of, guys, you won't believe what I've seen, led me to be exactly whelmed at the three-minute announcement that McLaren have basically a sponsor-inspired Monaco special livery. Right. Well, it was the source of a great deal of speculation. And I will add that our very own in-house PR specialist, none other than Chris, PR man does things with a job now, Stevens, himself opined that he always advises clients to not do exactly what McLaren did, which is big up the expectations. Because like you had, my, my last speculation was that McLaren and Mercedes were doing a joint hypercar Le Mans entry with Hamilton. Ricardo and Norris as the drivers. Now that that would have been something to hear, but no, they got some new paint. Catman. Yeah. Instead, they've now got a new range of merch that you can purchase on McLaren.com for a very unreasonable price. Okay. Well, look. Let, let's talk about the the livery itself. I I'm not old enough to remember. I don't think this livery. What what am I missing here? It's harking back to the Bruce McLaren days, Catman, with the 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 big round. It's not even round, is it? But I don't I don't even know. Look, golf have paid them money to do this and they've made the, the other history stuff around it. It's not even harking back to F1 as far as I know. It's mainly back to Le Mans cars, right. the golf of Porsches of the of the 70s and 80s, I think it was. They're beautiful, beautiful cars, and this livery is stunning. But it's harking back to a livery from a different series, man. Okay, so a bit a bit F1 bubbly. Like, DJ, I don't mind the glitz and glamour. I am an Americanophile. I like the way you guys just launch fireworks and yell all the time, sometimes at, at random. Uh, it was a good presentation. It was well put together. Hyper side, McLaren do seem to have a very kind of slick A corporate advertising department now that's sort of starting to see the gears turn. But just general presentation, it, it was a good vid and... And uh, and Lando did his looking moody very well. Of course. And I mean, it's not entirely unexpected. Zach Brown uh, was in marketing uh, for the longest of time. So, you know, it's expected that he's going to be able to do that. Yeah, it was a great presentation. I thought there was going to be more as well, but I'm looking forward to this livery. It's fun. I like one-off liveries. I think it's a, a fun thing to kind of reward fans and gives you something to sort of look forward to and remember, oh, hey, this was when they ran that. If they get a good result, obviously. I mean, if they get a podium, Matt, that will look that will look amazing. It will look like a marketing masterstroke. Yes, and they are indeed, if they can pull off a fast enough qualifying lap, certainly in a place where a podium is possible if they start off high enough up in the field. And I, I do want to add to that. I mean, like we talk about Hamilton as being the tire whisperer, but but I agree with DJ. I think Brown is like the sponsor whisperer, because this is where 
there has been a thing where the Formula One series has been gradually sucking up sponsors of teams because they get more bang for their buck sponsoring the whole series. And it's been an issue. And they've really been trying to point the teams at, at more of these one-off partnerships as a way to sort of continue to make money. So we might expect to see more of this from other teams going forward, albeit probably not something this iconic. Fair enough. Uh, but I would just say to the F1 journos out there, the ones we love, uh, just look, it might not be as exciting to everybody on the sofa as it was to you at the event at Monaco. Uh, just bear us in mind next time. I mean, everybody who I did a tweet saying, guess what it will be? And everyone was, oh, I hope it's something really great and mind blowing, but it will be just a livery for Monaco. And quite a few journalists I saw were like, oh, you won't guess. You'll be really surprised and it will like change the face of F1. And then it, it was a Monaco livery. That aside, it looks pretty gorgeous, uh, Catman. You're, the, mo- you're the, the livery man. I thought it was white, actually, from the video. But actually, it's like a, a baby blue and orange. Looks pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning. It's, um, as you say, Spanners, I think I would have loved to have been in the, uh, the Monaco Harbour sipping my champagne at this, uh, this event. But uh, sadly, not to be today. And in a stunning change for our show, we will now argue about the color of a dress for the next 90 minutes. Yeah, okay. Uh, No, we're not going to do that. Uh, We are going to instead talk about Monaco. Now, I I think this F1 journalistic bubble that has just kind of just missed the beat with this announcement. I think they've just slightly misread how it would be taken at home. It was surprising because a, a lot of those journalists don't often misread the room in this way. I think it is part of a kind of bigger f1 bubble around monaco catman isn't it everyone within the f1 media circus seems to get incredibly excited about monaco whereas us mugs sat at home on the sofa seem to be the ones that go it's monaco yeah and monaco traditionally has been the the place where you take your best clients to wine and dine them because the glitz and glamour of the casino and the beautiful surroundings you can get your fancy yacht in there so you know, it's, as I say, traditionally been the place where if you're going to schmooze a new sponsor, that's where to do it. <laughs> yes. So if you are doing that, I suppose it pays to say that this is a brilliant, glamorous event. You don't want to have it played down at all. Uh, let's just check where the panel are. So I'm quite openly hostile to the Monaco Grand Prix. I'm openly hostile to people saying to me, oh, you really must be there until you sip champagne from the Duchess's glass slipper you really can't appreciate the court and I'm, I'm sick of being told that because i do have a working class chip on my shoulder going to monaco or any grand prix was literally never an option for me as a kid so i fell in love with formula one as someone watching it on tv and when we get to monaco with the modern era cars the race dies i can see the skill on the saturday it's very exciting i i won't go on at length right now but the the race is a dud is there anybody here who is like, DJ, do you look at the Monaco Grand Prix and you go, right, son, oh, it's brilliant. I wonder if I wonder if the cars will change order much and then they don't. I mean, the racing itself isn't great, but it's one of the things that makes Formula One Formula One. And that's one of the reasons I love it. There's the pictures in the 60s of, you know, Graham Hill hanging with Ringo and Paul McCartney. You talk about Formula One being the most glamorous sport in the world. Monaco's the perfect uh, reason of that. It's it's the perfect example. Well, welcome to Miss Apex Podcast. You've immediately irked me. Is that going to happen this year, is it? We're going to get Justin Bieber and other people I don't recognise. 
He's already done that. He was on the grid a few <laughs> years ago. This, that's so 2017, Spanners. Trumpets. Sorry, DJ. I really thought Spanners would respond better to that. I don't know. I had no idea he would be irritated at you. For that. <laughs> okay, okay. I get the glitz and the glamour. To be fair, it's it's a completely fair point because people like F1 for different reasons, Catman. Lots of people do like the glamour and DJ there in LA where everybody goes to work on roller skates with a small puppy in a handbag. Yeah, I can see how that is your, your bag. Some people like the, the you know, the almost, uh, what do you call it, machismo. Catman of like, oh, yeah, cars, war, crash. I like the sporting element. I like to see cars race. And I believe on a Sunday at Monaco, we never get that. Oh, and that may not be the case, but I love a bit of variety. You can get that at the other 20 races, uh, apart from maybe Singapore and Baku and Monaco. But then you get something different from watching these uh, very archaic old circuits. I'm actually thinking of, um, I don't remember which year it is because, of course, I'm old and my brain doesn't really function much anymore. But uh, it was the race where it started out raining and Ricardo, I think it was Ricardo, bailed for the for the dry tires and Hamilton stayed out and ran his wet tires almost into the ground. And it wound up being this huge battle. And he managed to keep ahead of him on the tires and wound up winning the race. It was super exciting. Yeah. But I think the real problem for Formula One is that the excitement of Monaco in these cars, as you say, it's not going to be on track action because, you know, they're the size of the buses that drive <laughs> up and down the streets right now. But they are so close to disaster every single lap. And there's just not a good way for the TV to communicate how close, how much on edge they really are, even at race pace, never mind qualifying, which I just I cannot even imagine how they do it. Qualifying, I'm absolutely with you. Like you have to, you see those pictures year after year with the tires scraping the the barriers, especially like through the not the bus stoppy bit, you know, the bit past the the yachts and that. It does look amazing. It looks spectacular for that. I will argue with you about the race. I don't think there's many people pushing in the race, and I think we've seen a couple of examples that I'm going to highlight here. One is 2013 which was the, the silver buses, as Sebastian Vettel called them, where that was the year that the Mercedes were out-qualifying everyone by like eight-tenths of a second. And then when it came to the race, their tyres disappeared. Well, at Monaco, they could just park it. And they literally could just park it, and there's nothing Vettel could do. And then when you had uh, Daniel Ricciardo, literally with an engine failure just about, was massively down on power, that really highlighted, like, I mean, oh yes, Christian Horner is going to big that up and say, well, it was such an amazing drive. It was the drive of his life. The truth is you shouldn't be able to win a competitive F1 Grand Prix being massively down on power like that. There just isn't the racing room. There isn't the straights, DJ, for for them to overcome even a completely sickly car. And that, for me, kills any kind of real perception of competitive racing. That's true, but at the same time, if you are that car in front, if you're Ricardo with the engine problem, the same thing that you talk about during qualifying, the minimal, I mean, absolutely millimeter precision that is required to drive on that limit as much as possible, it is incredible. We, we say all the time of watching guys you know, falter under pressure. Well, you do that at, at Barcelona, you run wide, you have to go through the chicane at turn one. You do that at Monaco, your race is done. And so it's a it's a different way of, I think, responding to that overtaking ability. OK, that's fair, but they don't push. Is that fair? They, they We barely see drivers pushing. OK, look, put ourselves in a scenario for 
for next Sunday, and I am going to be positive about it next Sunday, I promise, but the, they qualify on the hards, do Mercedes and Red Bull, uh, on the uh, mediums, <laughs> third try. Uh, they qualify on the mediums, they get out ahead, Lewis Hamilton is in the lead. What is Max Verstappen going to do? Hamilton doesn't need to stretch out. He's not going to use up his tyres, Matt, is he? So the undercut isn't very powerful because as soon as he comes in, he's got fresh rubber, but Hamilton's essentially got fresh rubber on a softer compound. He's just going to hammer time, come in and pit, same order. It might help in the midfield, but where's the strategic options? And that's that's where it gets frustrating for me. Well, as I recall, at the last race at Monaco, uh, Verstappen waited till Hamilton had a little bit of trouble on throttle, tried to put it up the inside, and they wound up having a collision into the chicane. So I suspect that given uh, even a sniff of something that might be called an opening, yeah. you will see Verstappen doing his best to get by Hamilton, assuming Hamilton outqualifies him, which, of course, we all know that Hamilton outqualifies everyone always. Yeah, and if you're going to have two people fighting around Monaco, you want it to be Hamilton and Verstappen. That being said, you know, battles can happen. We saw the Formula E race quite recently where Da Costa overtook on the final lap. I'm sorry to bring up that swear word spanners, but Formula E. Um, <laughs> no, yes, it was a, an amazing, uh, amazing race there, but it is a lot easier to overtake when your car's going much slower and they're a lot smaller. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I, these... I don't. I'm not a disparager of Formula E. We covered Formula E for three seasons until the only person who knew about Formula E uh, got a proper job. Uh, but yeah, if you put them all in Formula E cars, I would watch this race. It'd be much more interesting. Um, I can we at least agree that an F1 race should stand on its two feet as a sporting event? And can we at least dismiss this argument, which hurts me? which is the you simply must be there. We've, we've got to kill the you simply must be there argument, surely. Someone, someone back me up on this, Catman. Yeah, sure. You can see the same sort of thing when they, uh, on a Friday night around the Milton Keynes roundabouts, you know, it's, uh, it's a fairly similar spectacle. Um, you don't have to be there, Spanners. You can watch it on TV. It's just a spectacular. Okay, so it should stand up as a TV event. That really is my only argument, even, even, though, even though I have said to the wife now that we should be thinking of promoting ourselves to middle class. Her accent, being a South Essex girl, is always going to be an issue, but we are a two-car family. So, so there's that. Not both. I thought that's what I was here for. Hey, to give us a bit of uh, to give us a bit of of class. Well, fair enough. Okay, good. So, look, Matt, I think that's my whinge out of the way. I there now. What I will do when it comes to Sunday, I know what the race is going to be like. I'm going to pull myself as close to the television as I possibly can. Might even put it up on our projector. Going to whack the sound up in my headphones, and I'm just going to absorb the sights and sounds of F1, knowing that I've had my whinge. And it is what it is, unless it rains, in which case, actually, it's pretty decent. Yeah, it is. And and let's not forget that the midfield and the back of the midfield do have the propensity for unexpectedly hitting things, causing safety cars that can change the entire, I mean, oh, there, uh, Norris, you know, there goes Hamilton, there goes Verstappen. Oh, someone's put it in the wall. Norris is in, he gets his new tires on and now he'll be leading the race because he's got the new tires and everyone else will still have to pit. You just don't know what's going to happen. And it could be exactly Oh that. my gosh. I think I've made my case here, Catman. I know what's going to happen. This is like going to be the best Grand Prix in the world now. I'm going to have to eat my words. Yeah, I can guarantee that Mazapan will put it in a wall. That's what I can guarantee. I think it's uh, Maz- Mazipin. Is the pronunciation Mazepin? Yes, Mazi, Mazepin. But yeah, I forgot about the uh, the Mazepin attack. So we might get a safety car in there. A uh, last word on this to Dave Hart, who says, "You simply must 
buy a yacht and be their spanners. That's a great idea. Why do we not have a missed Apex yacht and just go to Monaco? I'm working on it. Jeez, Matt, you sound like my wife. I'm doing my best. I'm mediating as hard as I can. Catman. I've got a dinghy if it helps. Don't sit here and be all like, oh, I've got a dinghy. You literally own a jet ski. Well, I mean, we could use that, but it's a bit cosy for the four of us. I hope this hasn't <laughs> ruined my chances of having a go on your jet ski one day. Okay, uh, let's move on. A little bit of a, a tidbit, Matt. Mick Schumacher has ambitions of Q2 uh, in a Haas. Does he, has he forgotten he's in a Haas? Uh, no, actually, he, he thinks that looking at all the things, it's a completely realistic goal that sometime before the end of the season, he might actually make it to Q2. Yeah, and my goal for my life before I pop my clogs is to star in a major movie film of made millions of pounds and be uh, the, the talk of the town, but that's never going to happen. You can't steal my ambition. You know all I want to do before I die is be in a Hollywood movie and be the guy that shows a picture of his girlfriend and talks at length about his plans because he's so convinced that he's definitely going to survive the film. If Arnie did it, you can do it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, what, what's the topic? What are we talking about? Schumacher, Matt. Why, why would a team that has said, we're not doing any upgrades, we're basically here for the beer, why would they suddenly be on Q2 pace? Well, uh they weren't that far off of it. And I think the, I think the better answer is uh, with all of his super duper Ferrari training, Schumacher is actually given that the car probably is not that easy to drive. Um, I don't want to get into it too much, but Haas is one of only two teams to not have adopted a new floor design. So it, it can't be the easiest thing to drive, but he's been doing a, a decent job in races and he's been doing a decent job in quality. So I think he's just setting himself a goal. Like, I want to improve enough to make one Q2 before the end of the year. Actually, since we have another American on, uh, DJ, in your background there, you've got a McLaren. You've got, I think, what a Lotus, a 2013-era pre-hybrid Lotus, and a Ferrari. I assumed you would be a Haas fan. I am and I'm not. I want to see Haas do well as an American. I am still upset that they haven't put an American in that seat. Um, yeah. I understand the logistics of it, but I, I want to see him do well. But kind of the past year has very much soured me on the American aspect of Haas. Well, yes. I mean, there's no stars and stripes is there on that car. Not at all. I mean, um, I, I, look, I've seen the Rocky movies. I know how much the Russian livery must be hurting you. <laughs> Little bit. I uh, I definitely had to watch Rocky Four when they put the livery out just to sort of be like, it's okay. We we won the Cold War. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to watch Rocky Four and chase some chickens around the yard. Catman, there's red, white, and blue. What more do you want as an American? <laughs> Catman, your your hot take on Haas? Uh, yeah, I, I was say my hot take on Haas is that I I think they're going to struggle to make it off the back row. Um, I think Schumacher versus Latifi last race was uh, an interesting battle that we got to see very briefly, but I think that's at the lower end of Williams and at the higher end of Haas. That's where we're getting that crossover. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, I want to move on, Matt. I want to move on to uh, a bit of midfield stuff. I think that the vehicle by which I wanted to do that is the new drivers because we've got so many drivers uh, that have changed teams i suppose we could quickly list them i'm leaving off the uh the the, the two Haas guys off of this because they're both new and it's very hard to kind of get a read 
off of either of those. But of course, we have Alonso returning back to the sport, Perez moving to Red Bull. We've got uh, Ricardo, uh, Sonoda being a, a new guy into F1 and into Alpha Tauri. And who am I forgetting? Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Vettel. Those are the guys who are driving cars that they were not driving last season. And I think my question is, we've been giving them slack. We're four races in. There's been a lot of chat of, well, it's very hard to change cars. I think, Monaco aside, once we get into, what's after Monaco? Forgotten now. Is it, oh, is it France? Oh, it's, it's all moved around. It's all changed. Yeah, it's, it's France. And, and then, then two uh, Austrias. Austria. We've got two yeah. Austrias. All right. I, I think by then, Paul Ricard and, and double Austria, certainly by the end of that, I would think we've completely finished the slack. You, you're at the top level of F1. You need to now be up to speed and we will judge you completely 100% as just being against your or your teammate. But frankly, I think we maybe we're getting there now. I, I'm wondering if we're being too harsh. But I would have thought by the end of Barcelona, that would have been the time to start going, OK, you, you don't you don't get that kind of uh, handicap points bonus, if you like. Well, I think it's reasonable. I think you would expect to see smaller differences between teammates. Uh, certainly at the at the teams where there were a lot of similarities, same power unit, you know, same sort of driver family. You would expect that. I think at the teams where you're making bigger steps, and I'm thinking of Ricardo in particular, because he's not only got a new chassis, they not only have the new floor to deal with, but he's also got a new power unit that he has to learn how to drive properly. You can see that taking a little bit longer for them to really understand how to use it properly in a race. And Vettel would be in that same category going Agreed, from Ferrari yeah. to Aston. Okay, so let's um, let's have a look at the the challenges here. Okay, so Vettel, I think that's a big challenge moving to Aston Martin. Ricardo moving to a different engine supplier. Uh, Carlos Sainz, I think that is a completely big step as well. Alonso having taken a year out. Perez moving to what some people are call, call, calling the, the cursed seat. And Sonoda being new to Formula One. Uh, let's start with Vettel. Uh, DJ, I think, uh, did we start to see the tide turn with Sebastian Vettel? Because it looked... Blinking awful, didn't it, for the first couple of races. Not so bad in the last race, but still, out of that team, right now, you you picking you're picking Stroll as the number one driver, which is weird. It is, but the reports we're hearing out of Aston Martin are the same things that sort of coincide with what we would expect from Vettel struggling with the car. They're talking about how the rear end is planted. I think there was an interview with Safnauer earlier this week where he was saying that it's not even a matter that there's just no rear grip. It's that it's unpredictable going into the corner. And so with Vettel's penchant for that, it's no surprise he's struggling and he's got to figure it out. Our one hope for this season with Vettel moving to Aston Martin. If you are a Sebastian Vettel well-wisher cat man, the only thing we were asking for was please give him a stable rear end. Yeah, and and the problem is for Vettel though. I, I am a sympathizer, but he these are the same excuses that have been rolled out since he stopped winning championships. And obviously, you know, the rule changes brought that into effect, but he just hasn't been able to adapt anywhere near as well as most of the other drivers around him. Well, this is interesting that you talk about behavior into a corner. I know you're focused on your rear, but uh, James Key was talking about Daniel Ricciardo, and, and he was really very focused on the role that the front tires were playing into corner entry and also 
the breaking material itself. I know that they used a new breaking material for Ricardo at Barcelona, and those things seem to have helped him. But it's important to remember that it's not just the construction, but the shape of the front tires that has changed. And it's and it's been difficult for some of the teams to recreate the kind of performance they're used to uh, in those sorts of areas. And that's where people like Ricardo really make a lot of their time. It has. And as, as you said, Ricardo in particular has always been known as being very strong on the brakes, which is what makes him a, an excellent overtaker. And he absolutely requires that stability and the, the predictability when he enters the corner and then he can fight it out on the exit. So as you say, different drivers' styles require different things, Spanners. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Scott Durow in our live chat. By the way, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Please do. We have 10,300 subscribers on YouTube. That's unbelievable considering we only started the YouTube so that people who weren't on the show could give us some uh, some points and some insight and tell us when we were doing stuff wrong. And uh, now we have a wonderful live chat room and we love reading your comments in the YouTube afterwards as well. Believe it or not, even the bad ones that I rage at and then mute and then block you. I love reading all of those too. So please subscribe to Miss Apex podcast. If you click the bell, you'll get a notification when we go live. Scott says the rear end does not seem to be unstable for Lance Stroll. Now I want to be very careful because apologies, I've forgotten the emailer's name. It was a Canadian that was like, I love the show. Please stop slating Lance Stroll and calling him a rich kid or whatever. I'm like, I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I've complimented him so many times this season. But, Catman, if I was to risk the wrath of Canada again, could it be that Lance Stroll's genuine... Because one of his strength is, strengths is he is genuinely safe. He picks up attrition results. Could it be that he doesn't push to the point? Oh, I'm going to get yelled. I'm going to get emails. Matt oh. at MissedApex.net. <laughs> I, I would disagree. I, I do like Stroll. I the thing is, he won junior formulae. It's not like the guy is slow. You know, in the same machinery, he could best some of the, the good guys out of there. He gets a lot of flack because he he has got his own team, which, you know, 
rightly or wrongly doesn't help him. Um, but that being said, you know, the, the guy is quick and he's no slouch. He, he, he can give people a run for their money, even a four times world champion. One lap pace, one lap pace, pushing one lap pace. I mean, he's in the bottom five, isn't he? On the F1. But let's be fair. Let's be like for all the merits he's got, perhaps he is not pushing the car to the point where, you know, this last final fraction, because you, know, you don't see him spinning off. You don't see him bumping into people. You don't see him in that last kind of desperate death nail dive bomb. Although I did like his battle with Alonso last week. I'm just saying maybe it wouldn't have the same effect as someone like Sebastian Vettel, who's probably leaving nothing on the track at the end of the race. I would counter that by saying Turkey last year, the dude got a pole position in really dicey conditions and in Monza a few years ago as well. In in bad conditions, did you say? In in conditions where other people struggled because it was a bit changeable or there was attrition. In those situations, Lance Stroll and his very conservative, safe, great risk-reward type scenarios, that's when he thrives. But give me the race where everybody is flat out in perfect conditions. That's where I think he's not competitive. Have I, have I got half a point? Yeah, you got half a point. But also in, in those conditions, it's it's you've got to be the one who's giving it the beans at the particular point And you've got to be on the right place at the right time. So there's a massive skill in that as well. OK, so remember before you email that the show as a whole gave a balanced argument. One pro stroll, one against stroll. All right. So Matt at MissedApex.net. Actually, I'm spanners at mistapex.net as well. I'm getting better at um, reading, answering, and dealing with your feedback and addressing it on the show. So do make sure you're getting troll in. Uh, you can also do feedback at mistapex.net, and me and Matt will both get it. Thank you very much to Kovok, our email sponsor, not sponsor, partner, our official email of Missed Apex. The link will be in the show notes below if you want to use them as your email host. Catman. Do we have a new livery for that? By any chance, are we changing our colours to blue for a week because of the new email sponsor? I will change the colours of Missed Apex for a a surprisingly small amount of money, if anybody wants to offer us any. Um, Okay, so there's people as well in the chat room. Sorry, I can't credit you. It scrolled too fast saying, oh, it was Jack saying, well, uh, George Russell did all right last season. He hopped in and he was okay. And actually thinking about it, Matt, Hulkenberg did okay. When he jumped in, he had a good qualifying for the race where he was unable to start. Can't remember what race that was now. Were last season's cars easier to jump into, do you think, than, than this season's? Yes. All but right. To remember that not only do we have a new tire construction, but that we've removed a significant amount of downforce from the diffuser in the rear end of the car. And with the new shape of the front tires, all of your the aero handshake which you can now say in Summer's voice, if you like. Aero handshake. Remember, guys, look, they're only here to tune in for Summer's, who will be here in 20 minutes' time. We're going to play a pre-record where Matt spoke to Matthew. Indeed, I did. And we talked about many things, uh, including bendy wings. So do stay tuned for that. But that will have been a lot of work for the teams, and they have not yet, if you look at lap times, recaptured all of that downforce. And this complicates the matter for the new driver. I think the other thing with it is, is looking at the two cars that Russell and Hulkenberg jumped into last year, that's the 2019 and 2020 Mercedes. Those are championship winning cars. Everybody else is jumping into cars that are inferior to that and harder to drive. And so it's not exactly a perfect comparison. 
And last, let, let's do consider that the race that Russell ran in the Mercedes uh, was a race that only had four braking zones. And nobody had driven the circuit before themselves either. Okay, cool. All right. That was good. I enjoyed that segment, Matt. Well, that was a good idea. That was my, one of my segments, by the way. It was my idea to do that. Yes, it was. The next thing we're going to talk about does also involve Americans in a way. But this is the part of the show where I get to say support us on Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Uh, the more people that support us this week and become $5 patrons, the less I'll talk about it during the next race review. So if nothing, shut me up and support an independent podcast creator. Join the the patrons that have kept Missed Apex going. We literally would not be here without them. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Join us in a private Slack forum. Get uh, extra content. Get invited to the streams where we decide we just want to have a bit of a chilled out stream with only the patrons in the live chat and the patron podcasts that we do. It's not bonus content. We don't save scoops and extra information for that. It's just a bit more of a relaxed hang with me and Matt. And who did we have? We had Summers drop in for one of those. We had Brad drop in for another one of those as well. It's uh, it's just us in a bit more of a, a relaxed state. It's worse content, but you can uh, at least have the warm, fluffy feeling that you're supporting us. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Cue funky bumper music. Hmm, that might be a bit too funky, Matt. We're getting a bit... We're getting too old for bumpers like that. We need the old man yelling at the clouds, telling people to stay off their grass bumper music. Okay, so we do need... We need a get-off-our-lawn bumper, Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve, Steve Amy, who does all of our uh, video switching uh, with uh, some assistance graphically from uh, Felix as well. Uh, We do need a a get-off-our-lawn bumper. But we're going to talk about blue flags. So... Slightly, slightly tangenting away from Formula One for just a second. Roman Grosjean competed, is competing this season in IndyCar. And this was the first road course of the season, I believe. No? The third third road course of the season. So it was Indianapolis. So they do most of the oval, or all of the oval pretty much, and then jump into like an infield track. Oh, you look at the Americans shaking their heads at me. Don't judge me, DJ. Lay out the race that Roman Grosjean was competing in, please. Well, I'm from Indianapolis, so I'm biased. Fair but enough. no, what they do is they run, it's a very similar circuit to where Formula One ran there between 2000 and 2007 or eight or whatever it is. They go down the front stretch. There's an infield section. They go down the back stretch, uh, which is in the middle of the track. There's a little Mickey Mouse section. They come out. And then as opposed to the problems that were caused when F1 ran there and the tire deflations coming around what is the first corner, there's actually a chicane. So they're only on the Indianapolis Oval for the straightaways. You don't really take any of the actual old school oh, track. The thing is, DJ, we have anglicized trumpets to the extent that he would never come on here and say straight away. So that was quite that was quite jarring, Catman, for me. Was that jarring for you? Straight away. <laughs> it is a great circuit though. The straightaways are lovely oh, there. God. And the, the bank sections, uh, as you say, that it's a shame they don't hit them, but the way that they've managed to get around the problems, it's made a, a cracking circuit that everyone should go back to. All right. Well, DJ, you're a fan of IndyCar, yeah? Big time. Yeah. Okay, okay. So I don't want to be unkind to IndyCar, and I keep meaning to tune into a race. Matt, I told you to harass me to make sure I watched some IndyCar. And obviously, with Roman Grosjean going there, 
there is like a bit of a, a kind of an F1 reason for us to go and watch because Roman Grosjean is a driver who could theoretically still be in Formula One. The problem you know, is that is that not a thing? Sorry, I know Catman's trying to get in. I'll just say quickly to Catman. Gro- let's let's establish it this that Grosjean, although you know he was spinning, perhaps overdriving, getting into accidents, his his pace and ability was never really under question most people just saw him as a talent that couldn't hook it all together yeah you've got i mean grosjean on his day was really fast but uh you've got grosjean ericsson and sato over there the most crashy formula one drivers of all time what more do you want well here's the thing how many times have we had the argument well what if nigel mansell angio and yeah. graham hill were in a race together well guess what we saw grosjean racing Juan Pablo Montoya in IndyCar. So all those arguments <laughs> you like to have about who's faster, yeah. you can actually see play out in real life in IndyCar but, now. So this is awesome. But the reason enough. everyone was excited about Grosjean is he went to a team that would be, I don't know, I wouldn't call them Haas, but they're not Ferrari. They're, okay. they're a solid midfield team. And in his third race, he gets pole position. Amazing. yeah, Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And in the race, it, uh, he led half the race. So he did not pull what we would think of as a typical Grosjean, do well, and immediately crash out at the start, which is, which is admittedly not what he mostly does, but what sadly he's sort of become known for in a way. Yeah. And he had a really great race. And were it not for the fact that uh, several times he was held up by traffic, there's every evidence from looking at the timing sheets, he had, he had the opportunity to win the race, as is, he got a second. Okay. And... Uh, I know some people will look at that and go, well, that just proves that the standard is not as good in Indy, DJ. You just quickly just answer those points because I know that's what a lot of F1s are saying. They're saying, well, it's, a, it's just not as competitive as a field. So a an also ran in F1 can go and get a pole and a second place early in the season. That is a lot of the view of it. But the truth of the matter is, is IndyCar has always been incredibly close and competitive to the point that Senna actually used it as a bargaining chip against McLaren back in the 90s. He went and tested an IndyCar out here. But the current field right now has incredible young and older talent from Scott Dixon, who is just unstoppable, to Alexander Rossi, Joseph Newgarden, Colton Herta, who is consistently tied to Formula One. The talent pool in IndyCar is ridiculous. It is, and they are so close. I was hoping that the McLaren announcement would have been Colton Herter getting a test drive somewhere. That would have been awesome. Okay, and uh, quickly, DJ, whilst I'm remembering it, which American would you put in the Haas car? Uh, I would say it would be one of three. It would either be Newgarden, Herta, or Rossi. Someone in the chat room earlier suggested you should put Jimmy Johnson in there if you really want to get Americans to watch. If they want to watch him parading around the back, maybe. The thing is, though, Liberty's focus is on the American audience right now. So I can fully imagine at some point there is going to be a push for an American driver. All the noises we've heard about where Liberty are putting their money for advertising, Matt, it's all at the U.S., it is. And in fact, the driver who won the race, uh, Reines VK, is actually Dutch and moved to the United States because his family could not afford to keep him on the path to Formula One. But I believe he was he was one of those that was being looked at. Pato Award won himself a test with McLaren because he won a race for the McLaren in IndyCar. And they are talking to Indianapolis about having a Grand Prix at the racetrack. Yes, they are. Not confirmed, but it's being talked about. 
Okay. And more than six cars this time? Is that the plan? Just checking. I would think so. Yes. Right, okay, good. So the reason that we brought this subject up, believe it or not, was was F1 related. Apart from the fact that we all wish Roman Grosjean well after that horrific accident in Bahrain to go and see him competing, to see his hands are working, to see he's happy and smiling is is wonderful. It's the story that everyone wants to see. But can you explain to me, DJ, what role blue flags played in or the lack of blue flags played in Roman Grosjean not winning because in Formula One we have blue flags we can't imagine a world without them so the discussion point for us is should we get rid of blue flags in Formula One well in IndyCar the rule is is that if you are being lapped for the first time so if you're going a lap down then you do not have to pay attention to blue flags if you're already a lap down then you've got to get out of the way Oh, okay. So if I'm being lapped for the first time, and I guess this comes more into effect in oval racing, where there's more safety cars and there's more competition cautions, where, you know, the race director, oh, is that, is that not IndyCar with the competition cautions? No, that's only NASCAR. That's NASCAR, is it? Okay. But in an oval situation where you might expect more yellows or full course yellows, for example, being on the lead lap is important because you want to then be able to pit for fresh tires and come out because you're not necessarily going to be spread out around the track. People are going to be kind of in a pack. You want to be part of that pack. It's actually tactically very fascinating. So if you are coming up to be lapped, you desperately want to stay ahead so that when the the caution comes out, you can kind of pit or catch up with the pack. I'm guessing that's the kind of tactical element um, of that. Um, So they're waiting for a safety car. So Catman, it's a massive safety car window. And we saw Sergio Perez, for example, at the last Grand Prix, trying to stay out for as long as possible. So if there was a safety car, he would have an advantage in in the pit stop. So you, (laughs) much to the anger of everyone else we know, have suggested that Formula One should just do away with blue flags. Why? Yeah, so blue flags, they... I'll give you a bit of a history on the blue flags very briefly, because I know Trumpets loves a bit of history. So they've always been a feature in motor racing back uh, since I think it was 1906 blue flags were first introduced. They were only made into a big thing in Formula One where you had to leap out of the way in 1995. Before that, they were a gentleman's agreement. So it was understood by the elite like James Hunt and those sort of people that if you were coming up on a back marker, they should just move aside, sir, and get out of your way so that you could carry on with the noble pursuit that you were doing. Nowadays, as the field has got closer, that's made it much more difficult. So they had to introduce uh, the blue flag rules. Um, And so to try and preserve the battle at the front. That being said, the battles at the front aren't necessarily as close as we'd like them to be sometimes. And the midfield is often a lot more enticing, specifically to people like me who like to watch the timing screens and see these other battles developing. Now, as a lead car comes through, you're going to get those battles having problems and having to jump out of the way, and it can ruin what is a perfectly good race. Okay, hang on. What are you saying ruins the race? The fact that they have to get out of the way and get out of their own battle. That's what you're saying. Yeah. So to move out of a leader's way, what you have to do quite often is to either 
blend off the throttle down a straight, losing you two, three, four seconds, which can make a, a big difference. Mm. Or you're going offline where there's loads of marbles, there's a lot of dirt, and you're ruining your tyres. You can ruin a whole stint by dropping that temperature on those tyres and scrubbing the surface with those marbles. So then that battle that they've spent so hard getting within a second mm. of the guy in front to try and overtake, they then have to, as as one car comes past, they then drop. And then the problem is, is the gaps between the leaders is so far that just as they've got back and they're like, yes, I can go get him. Come on. Oh, damn it. Bottas is coming. Mm. I have to let him past as well. So you never get that flow, which produces good racing. Uh, okay. Where, where are we? Where are we standing? I think, uh, I think Catman's wrong. Anyone on Catman's side here? DJ, uh, would you get rid of blue flags in Formula One? I would. I think Catman is completely and totally right. It allows for better racing across the field. And frankly, it puts more impetus on the leading pack. They have to be more precise, more perfect, and better to go. Great. I'm, I'm so pleased. I, I think that that moustache makes you ultimately intelligent. <laughs> okay. Look, okay. So I think the argument DJ is putting across there is if cars were forced to fight past back markers, you would have to create a car that could overtake, for example. And then the, the impetus then from the top teams would be, hey, can we get rid of this aero wash? Because all the teams are quite happy with it at the moment. They would start they would start campaigning trumpets. They would start saying, hey, we've got to make the rear wings like uh, flat dinner plates now, like trays. Well, it's, it's really the front wings that are the problem. Sorry to be just pedantic about that. But what's interesting to me, you bring up such a good point. Me? You do. I knew it. Mm. My position on this was that the blue flags in Formula One made sense for the exact reason you brought up. It was so difficult to follow in dirty air, the tires would get ruined, and the deltas required to pass a car were north of a second. You had to be a second, second and a half, sometimes two seconds faster to affect an overtake. And I think in those conditions, blue flags for backmarkers is inconvenient for the backmarkers as they may be for the flow of the overall race, they do make sense. But then I look at the race we just had in Barcelona, where Lewis Hamilton was apparently attached like a limpet to Verstappen's gearbox for lap after lap after lap. <laughs> yeah. It had put on new tires, was able to chase him down and pass him. And suddenly I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe, maybe the boffins at Formula One have finally done the right thing. We're getting close to a car that can really follow and pass. And if that's the case, well, maybe it's worth looking at whether we keep blue flags exactly as they are now. The other thing you could do is you could make it so that DRS, we, everybody loves to hate DRS. You could make it so that you're only allowed to use DRS to overtake a backmarker. And actually for position, it could be something that you maybe don't get to use. Maybe make it a bit close, a bit harder to overtake somebody who you should find it harder to overtake. Or... We could just have blue flags where people who are not in the race anymore, who are not fighting in the le- in for the leaders' positions, are just told to get out of the way. Now, blue flags are a humiliation in Formula One, Catman. It's the last thing you want is to be shown blue flags. It's bad enough when you are a, a midfield or a lower-end team that can't compete to the point that you can stay on the lead lap. It's worse when you're Nico Rosberg in 2016 in Monaco in the rain and you get lapped by your own teammate. 
I think I've got the year right there. But blue flags in F1 have become a symbol that you're not competitive enough. You should take that with humility and get out of the way. You have lost your right to fight with the leaders. And that's what we're talking about when we say get rid of blue flags. Catman first, then Matt. We are talking about your right to fight with the leaders. If you can defend, you're fighting the leaders. But you're not in that race. Formula One is a race over many, many miles. And essentially, on a 2.5-mile track like Monaco, if you're getting lapped, you're 2.5 miles back. Why are you fighting with the leaders? Get in a yacht, have a margarita, wait for the leaders to go by, and then resume your race. Catman, why are you, why are you rewarding failure? Because it goes against every single instinct that a racing driver has. So a racing driver, they spend their whole careers trying to, to get to the front and try and be successful. And now you're telling them that they're at the pinnacle of their motorsport. Oh, and you just have to move out the way. I can hear Brad uh, in my ears saying, oh, I've spoken like a true backmarker. But, you know, what there's actually, <laughs> they, you know, <laughs> it, it must be absolutely, as you say, humiliating for them. Yeah, well, surely, Matt, that's just an incentive to not be lapped. Well, yes, but of course, it's not, we're not, <laughs> it's not on the driver that they're in a Haas instead of a Mercedes, necessarily especially if they're a rookie. And beyond that, I think uh, the chat room is bringing up, uh, several people brought up the very good point that one of the real issues that you also have in Formula One that is less so in, in uh, IndyCar is the fact that the teams will collude with each other. For example, if I've got, yes. if I'm driving an AlphaTauri and Max Verstappen is coming around, he gets by at the first corner. If Valtteri Bottas follows him by, it's going to be all five corners before Valtteri gets around me. DJ, you incorrectly chose Catman's side of the argument. This intra-team battle will absolutely ruin F1. You're introducing a tactical element where an Alpha Tauri can hold up Valtteri Bottas to get him out of the pit window so that Verstappen can go and make a win. You're talking about fundamentally changing the strategy of the sport. I disagree. Playing tactics like that, playing with other teams, if you have sister teams, that's what this is from the beginning. I guarantee you that back in the day when Ferrari was selling customer cars out, that they were running the same thing to hold up Sterling Moss in the Mercedes. I'll tell you what, Catman, I think engine deals will get a lot cheaper if we got rid of blue flags. Yeah, they all have satellite teams. Don't forget, George Russell said that he thought that his Mercedes teammates were on the same team and shouldn't be fighting them anymore. Does that sound familiar? It does kind of sound familiar. Now, here's an interesting twist. Uh, in an interview in Grosjean, his biggest complaint was not so much about the battle. It was about IndyCar's push to pass and that these backmarkers were using push to pass to stay ahead or to fight with him. Now, push to pass is sort of IndyCar's version of DRS, for lack of a better way to explain it in the 22 seconds that I have left. Nitros. Um, but it might be an interesting thing that you, blue flags are gone, but if you are approached by one of the leading cars, you're no longer allowed DRS until they are passed. Uh, well, okay, but we can also just say let them buy. Like the argument we're having isn't the how to best facilitate or how to make them be competitive whilst a lap down. The argument is, should you be competitive while you're a lap down? And I've, I've yet to hear an argument why a driver who is miles, literally miles behind the leader has a, a right to fight them. I think fighting the leader 
when your race has gone so badly, you're a lap down. It's just about the muggiest thing you can do. And that's why everyone was so upset at Mazepin, Matt. Yeah, but on the other hand, if your car is that much faster, I mean, you know, really, what's the problem? Okay. Well, DJ, the problem is that F1 on old tracks doesn't, isn't always conducive to that kind of overtaking. You're not wrong. And I will say from the IndyCar perspective that there are plenty of tracks on the IndyCar circuit that are like that as well. But from the non-blue flags in IndyCar, I can count on one hand the number of times that I have seen drivers actively blocking the leaders. It's less about blocking and you know really fighting hard not to get overtaken. And it's more about that they're just not going to make it any easier. It's once in a blue moon that you really run into the problems. Yeah, so the last blue moon that I can remember was uh, Jerez in 1997. Does anybody remember that race where Villeneuve crashed into Schumacher? No one remembers what? it. No, nobody remembers it for the fact where that... Villeneuve crashed into Schumacher. Okay, we're going to have to do a whole. <laughs> we're going to have to have a whole different show for that. But do carry on. I thought I'd give that a go. Uh, no, so um, Jean Toc, the uh, manager of Ferrari, went to Sauber before the race and that they used Ferrari engines at the time. And he told them, if Villeneuve's coming through, to block them. So it was uh, Fontana was driving and Schum he let Schumacher drive straight past and then weaved in front of Villeneuve for about three or four corners. I remember, was, the, I remember the commentary and the commentary at the time was there will be a Ferrari gift basket delivered uh, to, the, to the Sauber team. Yeah, and they're absolutely, I can definitely say that there was. As you say, though, they, that will happen. That will happen. You've mm. got Alpha Tauri, but you've also got Williams, and you've also got Haas. So they've all got one. So why not let them use them? Okay, guys, uh, we are running out of time because we want to go and go to our pre-recorded segment with Matthew Summerfield. Don't think of this as an extra long show. Think of it as a show and a half. And those of you who don't normally tune into Tech Time, I urge you to stay tuned because Matthew Summerfield is, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, the leading F1 tech journalist. If not now, when we have the same conversation in 10 years' time and we look back, he, he will definitely be one of the, the most historically respected F1 journalists. I have so much faith in the man and he is such a lovely guy. He's, he's annoyingly nice trumpets, if I'm honest. He really is and very generous with his time and explanations. Uh, I understand so much more about the fundamentals of Formula One and about all the extra little juicy bits that you just wouldn't pick up on otherwise. It's, it's really worth paying attention to what he has to say. For a, a Muggy Shed podcast, we are incredibly lucky to have the, uh, uh, what's, his, what's his title? He's the deputy technical editor, uh, motorsport.com. They're quite big, motorsport.com. Yeah, uh, mm. I think assistant technical editor at motorsport.com. And as I like to say, the man with the plan from Techistan. Uh, but we do say goodbye to our two panelists here for now. Uh, Chris Catman-Turner, uh, people can follow you at catman f1 and you hang out in our slack group as well so that's a yet another incentive for people to support us absolutely and you can also find me commentating most of the time for the uh formula three uh cup yeah uh, that we run as well our i racing cup but you insist on having a family life and being a professional member of society so you you can't actually make round four uh, however we will line up a fantastic substitute for you 
I'm sure. A follow Catman at CatmanF1. And our new friend DJ from Los Angeles, it's gone terribly. You disagreed with me about Monaco, about blue flags, um, and everything we've spoken about today, which has assured that you will be popular amongst our listeners. But, but from my point of view, I've identified you as a potential nemesis. I mean, once again, that was the goal. You know, I'm just here to, to, yep. to mess things up. You miss all of the <laughs> shots you don't take. Uh, people can follow you on Twitter, DJ. Yeah, uh, I'm at the DJ Clark. I'm not all that incredibly interesting, but I post occasionally. <laughs> Excellent. And links to your sim commentary will be in the show notes below. So thank you so much for joining us. But for now, uh, we will be back to do comment of the week and to do a little bit of uh, post analysis on Summer's segment. That'll be just me and Matt. But for now, why don't we go ahead and go to Summer's F1. Now we're joined by the hardest working man in Tech F1, Matthew Summerfield, a.k.a. Summers F1, assistant technical editor at Motorsport.com, who has deigned to sit down with us and share some wisdom. It's good to see you again. Thanks for taking the time. Hi, Matt. It's good to be along again. Yeah, well, there have been things that have been happening in tech world, and I'm very excited to get to them. But if you don't mind, First, could we talk a little bit about the last race um, and specifically who's doing what in terms of development? Like who has the new interesting things going on? I know you were getting very excited about floors a little while back. Maybe you could tell us about that first. Okay, yeah. So obviously some of the big things that have been changing this year are down to the regulations. And as we've talked about in the past, one of the biggest changes for 2021 has been the, the floor. Um, the rules sort of suggested that the floor should taper uh, from a, a section a little further back from the edge, front edge of the floor all the way back to inside the front wheel, uh, sorry, the rear wheel, um, in order that they were robbing some of the downforce from the teams effectively. And what's actually happened is, is that the teams have looked at that a little bit sideways and decided that, well, we don't really like this tapered design. It kind of removes some of the downforce that we're after and the effect that we're trying to drive towards the rear tyre to, to help with the uh, diffuser performance. And so what they've done is they've gone away and a, a big bunch of the team started with what we have called Z-shaped floors. Uh, the reason that they're called Z-shaped floors is because there's a cutout that resembles that, that sort of shape. Um, we're now at a point that we have eight of the 10 teams running the Z-shaped floor. Only Alpha and Haas aren't running that particular type of floor. Uh, so obviously it is the, the, the probably solution to have uh, because of the way that it allows the edge of the floor to then be brought parallel to the car center plane very much in the way that it used to be um, and then they're allowed to obviously set up the the vortices etc that flow towards the rear tire in a very similar way than they did in the past um, mclaren are the latest team to come on board with that design they arrived in spain with a z-shaped floor and i think that's predominantly what we're going to see in terms of development this year matt is that the teams will go for the lowest hanging fruits they're already pretty much tuned in with these designs since 2019 and now they're just adapting the designs to suit the new regulations so obviously the things like the the floor the rear brake ducts the diffuser itself that's where we've seen most of the development spent Okay, well, what interests me about these floors very much is that if I'm understanding it from a just basic surface area point of view, they are actually giving up some diffuser 
floor real estate in order to have a straighter line back to the rear wheel. So why is that an advantage? Because it seems like if you're giving up that surface area, you're giving up potential downforce. Yeah, I mean, the teams obviously realistically want as much floor space as possible, but only to the point that it gives them more of an aerodynamic advantage. The tapered floor actually changed the way that the airflow would run along the side of the floor. And so by having this Z-shaped floor that comes inboard, they're returning to a, a similar sort of flow pattern as they've had before. As you say, that gives up some of the floor space, but it's all about flow management in that area rather than full on we need the, the the floor to work with and you have to remember that when we changed to the wider cars in 2017 the width of the car was in, obviously uh, made much larger but also the floor was too so these z-shaped floors are more actually towards the old style of floor um, and aston martin are the one that have actually taken away the most uh, as they try to recover their losses which as we talked about in the past is prompt predominantly because they're trying to resolve the issue of their low rake setup. Okay, well, that actually brings me to another question that that I genuinely have that I think is very, very important, which is we are seeing now certain teams saying, uh, aside from Haas, which all along has has pointed out that they have no intention whatsoever uh, of developing anything this season. They're just focused on 22. It's starting to look like maybe some teams are wrapping up their 21 campaign and moving to focus on 22. But I'm assuming if I'm maybe Mercedes or Red Bull fighting for the championship win, that might not be the case. What other teams are, are still in the 21 headset and, and what, which ones are, are kind of moving on? And who do you think it's really going to hurt the most at this point of the ones that are still in the 21 race? Well, I think there's several problems that you're trading off there because obviously you've got the cost cap involved. You've got all of the restrictions that have come in. You've got a brand new car design that teams have to look at for 2022. And to be honest, most of the teams will have chucked a lot of their resources towards 2022 a long time ago when they were able to put their designs into the wind tunnel on the 1st of January this year. Um, So a lot of resource will have already been shifted to 2022. As I say, a lot of the focus for the teams, in my opinion, in the early stage of this season is to deal with the tyres. So if they've got problems that have been created aerodynamically uh, by the new front tyre, because as we remember, the profile of the tyre has changed, the shape has changed. So they might have have to adjust some of their aero structures to deal with that. I think we've seen that from Red Bull uh, with their latest update into the barge boards and side pod deflectors. Um, And then you've got the low hanging fruit, as I've mentioned, like the floor, the rear brake ducts and the diffuser uh, certainly a team like alpine if we take them as the the, the benchmark for this sort of thing um if you look to alpine at the start of the season to where they are now they've spent a huge amount of their resource on dealing with changing parts of the the, the design um, to suit the new rules uh, so we've seen multiple floors we've seen new diffusers new rear brake ducts um, and in fact over the last two races they've had two new diffuser designs uh, to try to to solve obviously the, the problems that they've had there from an aerodynamic stability point of view and so that's what I'm, I, I really think that a lot of the teams are focusing on solving problems in the early stage of the season that they can then carry uh, that performance into the back end of the season and then maybe just tidy it up with smaller aerodynamic updates and then 
as I say, most of their focus already will be on 2022. And the danger that everybody really has is doing a McLaren and Ferrari from 2008 and focusing too much on their current battle and not focusing on the new rules. Uh, And we know how that played out in in 2009 for those teams. Well, yeah, we did. Um, And I'm curious because you mentioned Ferrari. They're one of the teams that are like, oh, yeah, you know, we're happy with the way things went at Barcelona. We're looking down the road. uh, Whereas McLaren, their erstwhile once again, rival for best of the rest is um, still seems to be focused on getting more out of their 21 package. Uh, is McLaren at risk of hurting themselves in 22? And actually, the team that I would really ask about, because they do seem to be throwing everything at the wall right now to catch up, would be Aston. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing that we have to remember is, is that a lot of the updates that we see on cars right now are 12 weeks in development. You know, if you're looking for big parts, floors and wings and, and whatnot, then you, you're looking at long lead times. So the biggest problem that a lot of the teams will have had is that they got to pre-season testing. They went out in the car, they did their aero runs, and they realized that perhaps they'd got some issues. And their developments that were already in the chain waiting to come in the, the following races, then perhaps weren't going to offer the performance that they were looking for either. And so those have to be cast aside and you kind of have to start again um, or rectify the issues that you've, you've found during testing. Um, I mean, Mercedes are a very, very um, interesting one to, to look at in that respect because they've had so little in terms of development on their car. And if you look at the way the car behaved uh, in pre-season testing compared to how it behaves now, compared to what they've actually done to fix that from an aerodynamic standpoint, it, it, it is mind-boggling because they've essentially stood still. And, and that's something that we don't generally see in Formula One, um, especially when you make the kind of improvement or the step forward that Mercedes have. You say they've they've stood still. Well, where have these gains come from if, if they haven't really moved forward from what we first saw? Okay, so... The only real two updates that we've seen from them have been a small change to one of the strakes on the floor ahead of the rear tyre, and they've changed the strakes within the diffuser. Those are all about changing the balance of the car, and that was one of their major issues. If you remember in pre-season testing, there's a couple of spins, but they had a problem at certain speeds, and I think what they've tried to do is fix those issues. On top of that, there's also setup that you can either compromise or or make improvements with. Um, And and I think that's where Mercedes are are able to make their most gains, is effectively tuning what they've got at their disposal um, in line with the tyres. As we all know, uh, it is a massive factor in terms of making performance, especially when you're on a transition from one tyre to a new tyre, which is what we've had for 2021. Well, that's great because it brings me to my next question, which is, and I think especially in this last race we saw, it was as much a race about tire degradation as it was tire choice, which uh, you, you aptly pointed out to me before our last show that Red Bull did not have another set of mediums available to them in the race, whereas Mercedes did. And because of the safety car, that wound up making all of the difference. But even without that, we're seeing a pattern. Verstappen will be very quick at the start of the race. Hamilton will track him down, either stay with him, track him down, start to look faster. Red Bull will pit first. And then we saw in Barcelona, we saw just absolutely how much he was struggling 
uh, Verstappen was with those medium tires. He was not going to get them to the end of the race intact. Whereas it, it honestly looked like Hamilton could. Is this the car? Is it the driver? Is Hamilton got that much an edge over Verstappen managing these tires? And uh, sort of uh, as a follow-up question, is it very circuit-specific, this kind of degradation advantage? And um, are we talking about all the tires, or is it mostly the rear tires? Okay, so... Obviously, there's a few things to, to talk about in that setup. Um, tires are a very difficult art, um, and that's where you tend to find the most performance from the front to back to the back of the grid. Obviously, there's a massive difference between uh, the cars aerodynamically. However, there's a huge amount of performance to be found in the tires and the way that you make them both give performance and obviously degradation levels. Uh, for me, uh, in terms of the top two teams, Mercedes have, have made the better run at the tyres in the opening phase of the season. But I think that comes down to the focus upon which direction that they've gone. If you look at Mercedes, they are trying to edge towards the harder compounds for the race. And that's why, uh, as I mentioned and put up on Twitter, as I do generally, um, before the race, the selection made through throughout the weekend is absolutely critical. And that is, for me, what really defined the race in Spain is the fact that Mercedes had two sets of the medium tyre available to them when Red Bull didn't. So it makes it very different in terms of the strategy choices that are available to the drivers. Then that has a playback into how you have to drive the stints. And obviously with the safety car, as you mentioned in Spain, that really changed the way in which that the front drivers hadn't got the ability to get the gap to those behind them. And they had to essentially drive around waiting for those behind them to open the pit window for them. And I think this is very poorly um, given out as information during a, a live broadcast. I really wish that they'd look at uh, the graphics that are available for this, because to me, it is critical for the viewer to understand that there's a problem for the front runners not being able to take a pit stop because it would drop them into traffic. And the last thing that they want is to be in traffic because then it's going to affect the degradation of the tyre and you end up in a, a, another situation further down the line. I think Spain was a bit of an outlier because of the aggressive strategy that Mercedes chose. Um, but in terms of the driver differences, you can clearly see that Lewis Hamilton has got on top of the difference between last year's tyre and this year's tyre and the way that the front tyre operates differently to the rear. Uh, I think that has been underplayed. The front tyre is different as, from a construction point of view this year from a measurement point of view and that has an impact on the way that the tyre gets into the window you've seen on qualifying laps the drivers will essentially go for push laps because they need to get the tyre the front tyre to bite and be in a window otherwise it will just understeer off the track so it's a very very important factor this year is how to deal with the tyres okay and now is it just the rear tires. I mean, do you think Red Bull, because they didn't seem to have any real problems with the fronts, but it was, I noticed that with the new turn 10, that we were getting these blisters on the rear tires that I don't think we'd ever seen at Barcelona before, because usually it's front left because the long right-handed, uh, the, the long turns do them in. Uh, so is it, is it just the rear tires now that are causing the issue? And if so, what could be behind that? 
I, I think again it plays into the fact of what the teams are doing in terms of setup to try to encourage the the front tire to come into its window. On top of that, you have to remember that the rear tire does all the work because it's got all the load forced through it. And Barcelona obviously is uh, a bit of a a problem for some of the teams in terms of um, tyre degradation anyway. Uh, that turn 10 for me, um, I'm not sure it made a huge amount of difference, but obviously it does have a different asphalt. Uh, so whether that played into the, the blistering, uh, that could be a factor. Uh, obviously, uh, in terms of the loads, the lateral loads that are forced on it, there's, there's it was a more flat out corner than it has been in the past as well. So it could be part of the problem that they were having. But for me, I think that was more uh, a, a problem caused by the way that the, the teams have decided to set their cars up this year. On top of that, obviously, we've got the bendy wing controversy that also perhaps plays into uh, the Red Bull having uh, a bit of a problem in terms of the surface temperature of the tyre that then sort of plays back into the the core temperature of the tyre and you get into this vicious circle of, of having uh, tyre heating too much uh, and and uh, causing you degradation. All right. So you're not going to get away with saying that the bendy wings are causing the problems at the rears without explaining how that potentially, that mechanism. Uh, but more to the point, I mean, they've passed the test the wing is, I guess, legal according to FIA regulations, but now we're getting more tests. So can can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on there with this wing? Okay, so the bendy wing intrigue or controversy um, came about after Red Bull arrived in Spain with a new rear wing. Uh, they had a high downforce or a higher downforce rear wing available for uh, free practice one and two. So they ran the first two sessions uh, with that particular wing and everybody anticipated that that's what they're running for the rest of the weekend. We hadn't seen their spoon-shaped wing at all during those sessions. Then FP3 rolls around and they decide to switch back to the spoon-shaped rear wing. And this is where I think... um, the whole intrigue and controversy started to whip up a little bit because we then had the comments from Lewis Hamilton. Oh, look at the look at their rear wing, and he made several comments about it. Now, to me, that was a public admission of something that Mercedes knew and have been trying to get into the FIA uh, and haven't been able to effectively get. Uh, uh, the answer that they're looking for. Now, it's fair to say that all of the wings flex under load because otherwise they would snap. That's a simple factor. Um, However, they are put through load tests during scrutineering before the weekend starts. And there are several load tests that they have to complete in order to be able to obviously go out and, and, and use those particular wings. However, those loads are applied symmetrically to the rear wing. So, you would apply the forces rearwards, a pullback test, and down on top of the wing to try to replicate what is going out on on track. These are things that have been in place since about 1999, when the teams were really pushing their luck with you know overflexing wings, and we had big accidents. And the tests have changed throughout that time. However, after the race, the FIA have stepped in and said, "Well, we're not quite happy with what." going on um, in and during 
the race conditions. Something's happen, happening whilst the car is in motion that we're not quite happy with. And so they have decided that they are going to introduce new load tests um, from the 16th of June, I believe it is. Anyway, I'll check that date. And if I'm wrong, um, I will let you know. However, um, they're going to introduce new tests that effectively look at the rotation of the wing under load rather than a symmetrical test because they realize that something is going on at a certain point that is effectively rotating the wing and walking it backwards. Um, So if you watch the footage back, it's freely available. Everybody's uh, on Twitter is uh, showing off the footage. You can see how far back that the rear wing on the Red Bull leans back. And that obviously reduces downforce and reduces drag. And that's why Red Bull have been particularly difficult to catch over the last few Grand Prix. Well, and, and one would assume that is very helpful in DRS zones if I'm leading and don't have DRS because you're still losing a significant amount of drag. So if I understand this mechanism correctly, Essentially, rather than just leaning straight back when the load is applied, first one side is rotating, then the other side, then one side, then the other side, so that if I pull straight back, I've got, let's say, a strength of 50 on each side. But if I pull back on one side, um, if I pull back with 150 each side, that's fine. But if I pull back uh, 100 on the right, now suddenly I've got flex. And with that flex, then I pull back on the left, and then that goes with it. And that's where they're getting this deflection from? Yeah, essentially, obviously, at a certain point, the, the wing is designed to, to um, have a, a force applied at a certain point that it will then start to walk its way back. You can actually see in the video that the, the flap itself starts to shudder uh, across the width of the top flap. Um, which indicates the fact that the, the whole structure is moving around as it's rotating rearwards. And obviously in a braking zone, you see this then start to pop up. Um, leading into what you mentioned about Red Bull uh, and their rear tyre wear, though, it's interesting to note that even in high-speed corners, that the wing is starting to rotate rearwards as well. And that is obviously then having this domino effect of making it very difficult for um, the tyres to, to be operating in the way they should be because effectively you're taking downforce and drag off the car at what is a very high speed uh, as you're exiting a turn. Um, So you're creating slide um, uh, and that will make the the peak uh, tyre temperature uh, pretty difficult to control. Uh, And that obviously then feeds back in and you have this problem that then becomes a never-ending cycle of trying to, to deal with. Right. So I can see them thinking, well, we will try with our higher rake to make up for some of that downforce we're bleeding off at high speed. But it does seem counterintuitive that this would be operating, although you could clearly see, as you said in the video, that this would be operating through a turn. I mean, that can't be a natural, that can't be a very natural thing to a driver to be losing downforce in a high speed turn. Yeah, and again, I think it's important to recognise that we've got a driver in Sergio Perez driving for a team that is alien to to his team anyway. And then suddenly, if this mechanism is on his car and he's having to counterintuitively drive to deal with that issue, then perhaps it's causing him to have some issues. Max obviously has experience of driving with the setup and being able to 
effectively drive around the problem. Um, but Perez might be struggling a little bit in that respect. Also, I think it's important to remember, Matt, um, a little conversation that we had on Twitter uh, regarding the rear flap snubber uh, that was missing off of Perez's car um, in Park Ferme that had to be replaced. So it's interesting that that part perhaps could have an impact on the rear uh, upper top flap. Right. And this is actually making me think now back to those glorious and halcyon days when drivers could use DRS wherever they wanted to on the whole track and qualifying. And um, I know there was a race, was it maybe Silverstone, where they let them use DRS through a turn and it resulted in some fairly spectacular missteps uh, by by some drivers. So, yeah, it would make it would make sense to me that drivers coming into the team not having any experience with that and given especially the limited amount of testing would really, really struggle. Yeah, and no, I think that's obviously very important for, for people that have, uh, are trying to compare Perez uh, to Max, Max Verstappen at this moment. And as you say, we have had instances in the past where people have had DRS open through corners, especially when we had unlimited DRS when it first came in and Red Bull could run through 130R with the DRS flat wide open and nobody else pretty much could uh, and tried it, some of them, and uh, had some uh, interesting uh, negotiation around that corner, let's say. So, Losing that amount of downforce off the rear end is certainly going to be uh, difficult in terms of the behavior of the rear car, rear rear of the car. And I guess it would explain why it's developed such a reputation for being, quote unquote, pointy relative to the other cars. I am going to ask if you would have time in the not too distant future to come back and talk to us about 18 inch wheels because we saw them on track. And we've seen some interesting new features, but I don't think we have time right now to get into them. Yeah, certainly I'll be back, Matt. There's plenty of time before 2022 comes in that we can have that chat about uh, the the wheel covers that have arrived on the Alpha during testing. Super. So where can we find you on all the social medias, my friend? Okay, so the best place is Twitter because that's where I post the most. And I am SummersF1 on Twitter. Lovely. All right. Thanks much for the time. And we'll talk to you soon. Well, very interesting stuff, Matt. I was paying full attention as you went through that pre-record. So let's now go on a rambling dissection of all the things that were covered in that tech time. What? Oh, I'm just getting my producer in my ear. Derek is just telling me that we are actually out of time this week. So uh, there's there's no time, Matt. There's nothing I can do. And I was all set to tell you about the new uh, Newton loads that are going to be required in the new rotational test and how much... Yeah. Newton meters are applied to a square meter at 300 kilometers per hour, but you'll just have to wait till later. I mean, those were all words I knew and understood, but I mean, it is it is what it is. So I suggest we give out an award, which is comment of the week. And this is where we reward the best comments from our live chat. You can follow Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter, the show at MissedApexF1 and me at Spanners Ready. Please support the show at patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. Get a bunch of stuff. The warm, fluffy feeling of supporting Mist Apex is the most important, but we'll throw some stuff in there to try and make it worth your while as well. It's the first link in the show notes of the video and the audio. But Matt, enough from me. Who has won? I'll, I'll sing it as well. I'm as good a singer as my wife. <clears throat>
Comment of the week. Did I remember to mute while you did that? It's just as good. Shut up. Just tell me the 17 nominations. I just just five. Mark Greenhow, after that buildup, the only thing that wasn't going to be disappointing would have been an eight-wheeled, movable arrow, three-stroke engined car driven by an AI combination of Cinna, Mantel, and Fangio. <laughs> okay, is that a tech-related comment? No. That was a McLaren. Oh, okay. McLaren buildup. I've lost track. I'm just in I'm in a tech swamp. I tried to listen, I swear. Yeah, I know you did, but we'll continue with McLaren theme. Roberto Murray says McLaren's new livery is secretly sponsored by Whataburger. I don't. Is that a cultural? Is that like it's, a American? It's an American thing? hamburger oh, okay. chain with colors mm. that are. Yeah, you because I didn't personally understand it. I'm angered and therefore not considering it. Uh, very well. Um, Nick Abbott, Catman, pulling out forgotten history to make a valid point again. I hate it when people use facts to back up arguments I don't happen to agree with. Uh, Yelmer Vanderlei, driving a Haas is like driving an Ego in a swamp. Right, okay. And uh, uh, finally, um, we'll go with Mr. AJ Scotty. Hey, bro, dot, 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 flexing here. Nice. How about the I like a good flex. Oh, I see. It's a pun because of the Red Bull flex thing. I get that. Mm -hmm. I understand yep. that reference now. All right, who's our winner, Matt? Oh, I don't know. I think it might have to be mm. Yelmer Vanderlei driving a Haas is like driving an Ego in a swamp. Comment of the week. There's a lot of swamp vehicle manufacturers who are super triggered right now, Matt, saying, no, uh, we go very fast in one direction. Uh, th that's actually a thing they used to have as swamp races with like home built vehicles. It's a mad thing. You could probably find it on YouTube, but I remember it from pre-YouTube days. Excellent. Thank you very much, Matt Trumpets, Matthew Summerfield, uh, our new friend uh, Daniel Clark, DJ, and Chris Catman-Turner, and of course, uh, me. I take some credit. I'm Spanners as well. All the links to our social media are in the show notes below, so go ahead and check that out. Our current plan is to catch up with Joe Saywood tomorrow on Monday the 17th of may it might be a live stream it might not be he is in monaco as we speak and uh, we will see what his internet is like if it's good we'll stream it if not just catch up with it we'll release it uh by monday evening we will catch up with mr carter after monaco now i know he's got some exciting news to talk to us uh, to talk to us about uh, we've been unable to find a time that we can Speak to him, but we are going to do that after Monaco. But wherever you see us next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. I, I will edit it so that I spoke all the way up to the, the piao again. I just missed it. I forgot to press the button. I started talking. I was like, well, what else can I say? I said the tagline. Can't just waffle pages. Oh, work hard, be kind, have fun. This is Missed Apex Podcast. I like chips, but not too much. They're carb heavy, although I did have a pizza at the weekend, but it was my son's birthday. It's not my fault, and it's not just part of a continuing trend of me losing my grip on fitness as I go into my early 40s and I decide to become just an ever-increasing ball of jewellery and tanning and full Fabio Briatore. I'm just, I'm not going to be fit anymore. I'm just going to be the fat guy on the beach with the tiny little speed speedos and the very well tanned belly hanging over the top more so i'm already that i'm going to do it more so 
I would have just gone Missed Apex Podcast. <laughs> I should have done that. Work hard, be kind. There you go. Fun. I said, I embarrass my kids at the school gate because I always say to them, yep. that phrase comes from at the school gate. I say to the kids every every day, this was not like a, a thing for the show. Um, they uh, They had asked me the meaning of life because they're weird kids. And I had said to them, I said, well, you know, just... Did you say 42? Yeah, we've done that. We're reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at the moment. We are on book two of the five-part trilogy. So uh, we are doing that. They, they've got they've got the full 42. Uh, we're currently going to the, uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.